we began a new series called Root to Fruit, The Path to Spiritual Maturity. Uh, it was just an overview to get us going. This week we, we talk about uh, the first fruit of the Spirit, uh, which is love. Love, love, and it's Valentine's Day this Tuesday and everything. Oh, love. So, uh, you know, I put together a little something to help you out with Valentine's Day coming up. Uh, this is a list of Valentine's Day fails. So, here is what not to do for Valentine's Day. Here's the first one. Uh, don't get that special someone a sweat heart sweet shirt. Sweat heart couples sweatshirt. Don't do that. That's a Valentine's Day not. Here's the next one. Don't get couples uh, chocolates where your faces are put on chocolates together. Don't do that. Cancel that order if you have already made it, okay? Because that makes the list of things you don't want to give this Valentine's Day. Here's another one. Don't go with the Pizza Hut engagement proposal. <laughs> Pizza Hut has everything you need to make your proposal perfect, all in one box. Don't click that button. You don't want to learn more. It's not a good idea. All right, here's the next one. Don't give the Valentine's Day cactus. Pick another plant or a flower, but you don't want to give a prickly plant on Valentine's Day. It will not go over too well. Uh, and here next, we have uh, a heart-shaped steak. <laughs> don't let the box fool you. It's really dorky, and you're not going to want to give that special someone a heart-shaped steak. And uh, next, and um, finally, we have the bacon bouquet. I'm actually on the fence about this one. So if you think it's a good idea, go with it. But if you don't, then just stick to the normal flowers. Those are Valentine's Day fails. You're welcome. I kept you out of trouble. <laughs> well, when it comes to love, love, uh, romantic love is one form of love. Uh, but the Bible says a lot about love, loving relationships. God is love, and God wants your life to be filled with loving relationships. Love is the supreme Christian virtue, and our love for others grows out of God's love for us. Romans 5.5 5 says God's love has been poured into our hearts. That's through his son, Jesus Christ. And it says... In 1 John 4.19, we love because he first loved us. You know, God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you have accepted Jesus as your Savior, you have the love of God in your heart. And out of that love, you will learn to love everyone else like God has loved you. If you don't have Jesus in your heart, you're going to try your best to be a loving person, but, but really what's going to happen is you're going to fill your life with, a, with a, a form of love that serves yourself. And you'll always be struggling to show true, deep, lasting love for others because you have not received God's love into your life. But if you have Christ in your heart, Jesus will continue to teach you how to love your kids, how to love your spouse, how to love your church, how to love your fellow employees. And you'll find that Every relationship in your life needs constant maintenance and repair. So we're going today to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's the finest chapter on love in the Bible. When it comes to how do I love other people, man, 
You can't do better than 1 Corinthians chapter 13. You've heard this passage more often than not at weddings. But here's the thing. In the city of Corinth, the, the original version of this was written to a church that was not being loving to each other. So it wasn't about romantic love. It was first about teaching a church how to get along. We're going to go there today. First, let's pray, and then we'll open God's word together. Father, we're so grateful for the love that you have given us. We're so thankful that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Help us to show other people this gracious and merciful love that you have demonstrated to us. Help us to fill our lives with love for others. Grow this fruit of the Spirit in our hearts. Help us not to settle for for just doing our best or for just treating people the exact same way they treat us. Help us, Father, to show a divine love to everyone who we encounter. And we pray that you would make this possible. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you're going to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. This was a messed up church. I mean, messed up. They had big problems. They weren't getting along. They were fighting. They had sin in the church. There were people who were being put to death by God because he was so upset with them. So this was a messed up church. And yet, out of it, we get this love poem, this beautiful discourse on what it means to be loving in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Um, Here's what it says. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. The first part of this passage shows how important love is to God. So it answers the question, why must I love? So everybody say, why? why? Yeah, but say it like you're really not convinced yet. Why? Why? Because this church was not loving. So they're like, why? Why would I love that person over there? <laughs> Jot this down. Number one, if I do not love. The Apostle Paul reasons with us by saying, here's what's going to happen if you don't love. It's a great parent tactic. Here's what's going to happen if you don't get out of bed right now. Right, show them their future. If I do not love, you can write this down, I will accomplish nothing. So it says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, so a big problem in the church of Corinth was this spiritual gift of speaking in tongues. And there, was some, there were some who were elevating that gift. They were boasting about spiritual gifts, which means in the end they were serving themselves and they were disregarding others. And he says, but have not love... I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbal, which means I'm accomplishing nothing. If I do not love, I will accomplish nothing. Boasting in my own spiritual giftedness, disregarding others, means I'm accomplishing nothing. I'm I'm just like this noise, just this noise. I'm just this gong. I'm just this nothing. I'm I'm not doing anything but annoying people who are all around me. I found a video of the most annoying animal on the planet. Do you want to see it? Here it is. Here's the most annoying animal on the planet. Yeah. 
Get that for your ex on Valentine's Day. I want to see that again. Play that again. If you're not a loving person, this is what you are. It doesn't matter how spiritual you are. You're, you're not accomplishing anything. You're just annoying people. You're really annoying. If you're not loving, you're really annoying. That's what the Bible is saying right here. You're a gong. You're a symbol. Hey, love. Because if you don't love, you're not going to accomplish anything. It says in verse 2, And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Write this down. If I don't love, I'll become nothing. Not only will I fail to accomplish anything, I'll become nothing. It says prophetic powers here. Can you even imagine this? It says, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries. Can you even imagine what it would be like to understand everything? I mean everything. Like omniscience. You'd win on Jeopardy every time. And not just the facts, but you could explain God's ways in the earth. Some of you are like, yeah, sign me up for that. If you have the power to understand all mysteries, if you have all knowledge, and then it says if you have all faith, meaning you can, by your faith, remove mountains. You're so faithful to God, and you believe, and so mountains are flying through the sky into the sea. But you have not love, you're nothing to God. You're nothing to God. Wow. I can do all these phenomenal things. See how strong and smart and impressive I am? Yeah, if you don't love, you are nothing to God. Does that convict you? Does that convict you? Why must I love? Because if you don't, you're nothing to God. Nothing. Do you know that it says in the Bible that he who does not love abides in death? Here's a picture of your spiritual condition if you're not a loving person. That's you. Do you know what that's suggesting? That's suggesting that if you haven't grown in your ability to love other people in your life, you're not saved. Doesn't matter if you can preach the word. Doesn't matter if you can sing a pretty song. Doesn't matter if you can teach the Bible. If you don't love, that's what God sees. That's heaven's report card on your current level of spiritual maturity right there. You're in a tomb. You're nothing. If I do not love, I'm flowers on top of a grave. I'm nothing. The more you strive to become a somebody, the bigger a nobody you really are in God's sight. You have to fill your life with love for others or you'll just be a big nobody in the end. It's all about serving others. It's not about people serving you. If I do not love, I'll accomplish nothing. If I do not love, I'll become nothing. And write this down. If I do not love, I'll gain nothing. In verse 3, it says, If I give away all that I have. Now imagine that. Terrifying moment. I'm finally so charitable that I'm going to give everything away. Well, wait a minute, Pastor Ryan. How can you say that person's not loving? Because, because in this sense, they're doing it to be seen by others, right? Uh, 
Do you you remember what happened in the early church when Ananias and Sapphira sold land and then they brought the money to church? Remember what happened? What'd they do? They lied. They lied. Oh, they gave so much to the church. Yeah, they lied because they wanted to be seen as giving people who are supporting the work and God killed them in church. That's a sinful way for them to be charitable. Hey, are you a mercy person? Are you more of a grace person than a truth person? Do you like helping other people out? You need to learn this lesson. Grace people hide their sin in their grace. Truth people hide their sin in their truth. But if you're a grace person, beware. Because you can hide your sin in your grace. You can be the only one who's caring. You're proud of how much you give. Be careful. Because you can sin in your grace. And if you do that, you'll gain nothing. You can give everything away. But if you're doing it to be seen, you get nothing in the end. Because you're not being loving. You're doing it for yourself, not for others. Literally in the Greek, the, if I give all, away all that I have, it means to put food in the mouth. So this person is so, they're feeding people, and yet they're doing it to be seen. It's possible to sin in your mercy. You can sin in your mercy by becoming proud and self-righteous in how much you give. You know, nobody else cares but me. Or you can sin in your mercy by not telling people the truth. Right? So I'm only going to do good things to them, and I'm never going to tell them the truth about their sin. Uh, that dishonors the Lord, because you're never telling people the truth. So you can sin, and you will gain nothing if this is the way you give, because you're not being loving. Then it gives us an example of a truth person, what they would do. It says, if I give away all I have, then it says, and if I deliver up my body to be burned. So now this is like a truth person who's like, I'd rather die than renounce my faith. You can burn me and I'll never say that Jesus... You know, this is like a truth person who's going to cling to their faith to the end. There's an early manuscript that read, if I deliver up my body, then I may boast. So see, this might also color what's happening here. Yeah, this person is faithful unto death, but they're doing it because they want to be the hero. You can almost hear the Apostle Peter, right? What did he say? Though all forsake you, I will not. Did he mean that? Did he mean that? No, because that same night he was running, right? He was weeping because he really didn't mean that, but he wanted people to think that that was who he really is. He wasn't ready to die. He was just ready to boast about it. So you'll gain nothing if you're giving just to be seen, if you're self-righteous in your devotion. Wow. Wow. If I do not love, I will accomplish nothing. I will become nothing. I will gain nothing. If we succeed at everything and fail to love, we have failed. Do you know that's true? If your report card shows that you are getting an A in everything that a Christian can get an A in, but then when it comes to love, you're getting an F, the bottom line is you're getting an F. You failed everything. If I do not love, I am nothing. Well... Now that I've convinced you why we must be loving, I think you're wondering how we can be more loving. Am I right? You might want to even ask me how. Oh. See, I knew you were wondering that. <laughs> Number two, you can write this down. Here's how we can love. Give your relationships a five-point inspection found in this passage. I group together all of the many traits that are listed here into basically five points And here's how you should use this. Um, Don't go through this and ask yourself if you're kind of done in that category. 
That's not what it's about because you're never done with these traits. Uh, what this is, is this gives you like a test of how a relationship is going right now. So if you ask yourself, how am I doing with my spouse? This is a great test. You can go through this list and put your name in it and you can say, how am I doing with these things in my marriage? But then you can go straight through it again and say, how am I doing with how I'm treating my parents? Right? Then you can go through it again and be like, how am I doing at treating my siblings? So it's a test that can give you a, a gauge of health of every relationship. It also can give you a vision for a relationship. So let's say that you're dating someone and you're like, you know what? How do I know if this love will last? This is a great template for what, for what you're actually trying to make your relationship. All right? Yeah, yeah. We've got the, the fire of romantic affection right now, but what is it going to become you know, when you're 60, 70 together. Like, what are we going to actually, how are we going to treat each other? This will give you a vision for how to build a mature, lasting relationship. Check this out. This is an instrument panel on an airplane. And this is kind of how I see this passage. Uh, you know, you're flying along, and, and suddenly you're, like, losing altitude. And you, you, like, look at all these gauges in 1 Corinthians 13, and you kind of tap the one, and you're like, oh, oh, oh. That's why we're in a nosedive, because we're low on this, you know, or, or and, and you might be like, I got to pull up, I got to pull up, because we're in a dive here. This will give you the gauges in a relationship, and it'll show you how to, to monitor them. Well, let's get to it here. It says in 1 Corinthians 13, 4, love is patient and kind. Write this down first. Am I being patient? Am I being patient? It's a great question to gauge the current status of a relationship. The word patient in the Greek is a compound word. It means long, long suffering. Long suffering. Are you patient? It's the opposite of short Fused. It's important to be a patient person with your parents. It's important to be a patient person with your friends. It's crucial to be a patient person with those who have authority over you. Recently, I was helping to resolve a conflict with grown men. Grown men. There was a conflict among grown men. Sometimes grown men fight. And we were emailing back and forth, how are we going to fix this? How are we going to get... And somebody emailed back and said, let's just take a week and let Hulk calm down. <laughs> Meaning, don't talk to him yet. He needs to cool down. Then we'll reach out to him again. And I thought that was kind of funny. Uh, if, if that's kind of how people around you are feeling, like, let Hulk calm down, you might struggle with patience. Patience is loving. Impatience is unloving. Now, patience has a, a twin virtue here, kindness. Kindness is like an active demonstration of patience. So if um, patience is what I'm, what I'm not doing, I'm not going to say something rude to you right now. I'm not going to lash out. Patience is what I'm not doing. Kindness is what I am doing. So kindness is how I'm showing my patience through a measured kind action. It's doing something helpful for the undeserving. Uh, it's being willing to give better treatment to someone than they deserve. So it's active. How are you doing it being kind? Okay, fine. 
you know, uh, you're telling yourself, well, I'm just not going to say anything because obviously he's in a terrible mood. That's great. You're being patient, but how are you going to be kind? How are you going to say something that is pleasant? I told you a few weeks ago, I started coaching my son's basketball team. I've never coached before. I've never even played in a basketball league before, so I have a lot to learn. And uh, parents have been very patient with me, but we had a game yesterday, and it was picture day, and I forgot to tell the parents. I've learned that's a no-no. <laughs> Moms in particular really like to know when their kids' pictures are being taken. And so uh, I, I was doing frantic last-minute phone calls and emails to tell people that it's picture day and you need to get there 30 minutes early. And then um, as the moms started showing up with their sons, they didn't say anything, but there were looks. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? Guys, sometimes women can say something without saying it. And th these moms were just like, here he is, you know, and I was getting looks. And, but overall, I think they were being kind to me because nobody just let me have it, you know, like, we're in three leagues and you've got to tell us this ahead of time. They were all just kind of kind to me. And I needed that because I blew it. Then we lost by 10 points. It was a terrible day yesterday. <laughs> I know. Am I being patient? Uh, am I being kind? Hey, check that gauge on your relationships. How am I doing it being patient? How am I doing it being kind? With my teenage child, with my boss, with my... How am I doing it that? That's the first point. Here's the next one. Am I comparing? Ask yourself that. Am I comparing? It says love is patient, love is kind. Then it says love does not envy or boast. Doesn't envy, doesn't boast, it's not arrogant. These are all comparative things that we do in relationships. Uh, they, envy is actually more of a private, invisible thing that only you can detect, but it'll come out. It'll come out in boasting, it'll come out, it'll come out in jealousy, it'll come out in uh, gossip, backbiting, slander, but are you comparing? What is envy? Um, envy happens when I have a problem with what you have. So, so I'm struggling with something you have. Yeah, it could be a physical thing like money or a size of a house or the job that you have, but it could be an in, intangible thing like the body type you have, the attention you get. The, so when something you have is the problem, then that's envy in your heart. And if you struggle with envy, you're comparing yourself to others, and they might not even know it. They might not even know it's happening. But it leads you down a very unloving path because you're telling yourself that person shouldn't have that, and it's unfair that you don't have that. You can't build a loving relationship if there's envy in the heart because you feel that somehow fate has cheated you out of what that person got. And you will take action to try and right that wrong, either by rising up above that element of that person's life or by longing for them to lose it. You know, you know? That's what envy leads you to. It's a very unloving thing. I don't want you to have what you have. That's envy. The Oscars each year feature many award winners and many award losers. When the Oscar goes to someone else, 
you'll know if there's envy in your heart. When you don't get what you think you deserve and someone else does, that's when envy rears its ugly head. Check out these pictures of people who've lost Oscars. That's what it feels like to not win the Oscar. When the Oscar doesn't go to you. Meryl Streep, I think she's lost the most Oscars. She's won a bunch and been nominated a lot, but time, what is it, like 16 maybe, she's had to see go to someone else. And she's just like, oh, I'm so happy for you. <laughs> hey, are you comparing, are you envying, uh, are you wishing evil upon another person? Are you wishing hardship or loss upon another person? In other words, are you refusing to love a person until you see their quality of life downgraded? That's unloving. If you've got people on that list where they are going to be in the freezer, heaven forbid this happens in your marriage, heaven forbid this happens in your marriage, where they will be in the freezer until you see them suffer. That's comparing, that's envying. Now that leads to boasting. Are you boasting? Boasting means to flaunt oneself, to parade your glory. So if envy shows that you have a problem with what someone else has, boasting shows that you have a problem with what you have. Because what you have, whether it be your muscles, mm, look at my muscles, you know, or whether it be your money, or your stuff, or your personality, or who you know, if, if you're parading, parading your boasting. And that shows that what you have is a problem because you really want other people to kind of be in awe of you. And that's not loving. When you're constantly making people feel smaller around you because of how smart you are or because of how rich you are or because of how connected you are, you're not being loving. You're loving yourself, but you're not loving other people. I watched Tom and Jerry growing up as a kid because that was my generation. And there was this one episode of Tom and Jerry where Tom tried to make himself bigger to impress another cat at the beach. You ever see that episode? Check it out. Only it was not true. It was all air. He filled himself up with air. And then he tried, you know, beating all the other cats up. Well, eventually you know what happened, right? What happened? What happened? Pop! You know. And then it showed how small he really was. And the Bible says pride goes before a fall. Goes before a fall. The uh, word arrogant means to puff up, <laughs> to inflate yourself so that you appear greater by comparison. The arrogant heart basically says, I'm a bigger deal than you. And if you need that to be true before you'll love someone, you'll surround yourself with people who you perceive to be weaker and you'll treat them poorly. That's not a loving setup. That's not the way love works. An arrogant person also looks around the room and basically says, you're a bigger project than me. I'm a bigger deal than you. You're a bigger project than me. If you really want your marriage to uh, fall to pieces, make that your plan. I'm going to convince my spouse that I'm a bigger deal than them and they're a bigger project than me. That's called arrogance. In Philippians 2.3, it says this, in humility, count others <clears throat> more significant than yourselves. That means functionally you're treating other people like they're more important than you. It doesn't mean essentially they are. It means that this is how you love people. I'm going to lay down my life, my rights, my preferences for others. And that's a loving thing to do. 
How are you doing at being patient? How are you doing at comparing? Comparing. Third, how are you doing with being rude or resentful? Rude or resentful. So it goes on to say this, does not envy or boast, it's not arrogant, it's not arrogant, or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. So listen to this collection of words, rude, insisting on my own way, irritable, resentful. Put them all together and you get, am I being rude or resentful? Uh, Rude means you will cross socially acceptable limits to establish yourself. Whether you're being louder than is socially acceptable, well, I'm just a loud person, maybe. Um, You will cross levels of uh, being crude. You will make a scene. It's a person who is rude. Do you have a history of this? Do you start public altercations? Uh, Do you belittle or embarrass other people when conflict breaks out? Do you like to tell it like it is? I just tell it like it is. That's rude. That's rude. Proverbs says, one man speaks like the thrust of swords, but the words of the righteous brings healing. Which are you? Are your words bringing healing or are your words like the thrust of the sword? Um, Do you struggle with being rude? We'll get to men in a second, but women in particular, the book of Proverbs challenges you on this area. There are three types of women in the book of Proverbs that it says you should not become. Do you know what they are? There are three types of women. There's the immoral woman, sexually immoral woman, who doesn't keep her intimate connections to her spouse. Uh, Then there is um, the um, woman who struggles with, with nagging. And then there is the disgraceful wife. The disgraceful wife, meaning she brings public disgrace on the person she's with. She's rude. So she never stops nagging him in the house, and then when they're out of the house, she embarrasses him. She belittles him. She humiliates him in front of other people. Uh, The Bible says terrifying things, women, if that's who you're becoming. It's better to live on the corner of a roof than to live in the house with you. Take that to heart. This is a warning on how to be loving. Never be rude, especially to those who are closest to you. You know, if you've got issues with your kids, yeah, you need to tell them the truth. But don't do it in public in a way that humiliates them in front of everybody else. Don't be rude. Don't be disgraceful. It says here, love does not insist on its own way. So it's not rude. It does not insist on its own way. So here's a challenge. We have to make sure we're not seeking our own way. We're not bossy. We're not pushy. We're not pushing our own way. My thoughts, my opinions, my preferences. I always get to pick the movie. I need to pick the TV show. This is what I want to do today. We've got to be careful. That's not loving. Frank Sinatra, he made it famous, right? He did it. I did it. My, I won't sing. All right, I will. My way. Hey, if that's the anthem of your heart, my way. It's not loving. It's not loving. Seeking your own way is not the way of Christ. Then it says, love is not irritable. The word irritable means sharpened in spirit. It's an important word. Sharpened in spirit. Irritable. Irritable. Uh, I believe in the NIV it says, not easily angered. Irritable. 
Uh, what it means is that your heart is sharpened so that you are ready to injure and you're ready to be injured. Both. So on the offensive, you are sharpened and ready to wound. But on the defensive, when someone comes at you, you're almost aiming your bruises at them. Ow! Ow! You did it again! You keep hurting me! Ow! And you're, you're making it easy for a person to injure you. That's what it means to be irritable. You hurt others easily and you are hurt easily. Maybe you're super sensitive. Maybe you're super critical. The point is, it's not loving to be irritable, to be easily angered or hurt. Check this out. This is a picture of a guy who's hard to relate to. And when you approach somebody uh, and you're like, listen, I just, I, just, I, just wanted to, I just wanted to bring something up to you that kind of hurt my feelings, and suddenly it's like, Shing! if you pull out the swords and everything is a fight to the death, uh, maybe you're irritable. Maybe you're making it hard for other people to love you because you don't give them, you don't help them know how to give you feedback. Um, and maybe you're not in a place where you're eager to receive that. Um, the people who are closest to you, they know you best. They can help you the most. Let me talk to the men on this one. Men, we have to be slow to anger. Slow to anger. And we have to not be irritable. For the health of our family, we have to make sure that we're not always, you know, holding the drawn swords, ready. My kids are getting out of line. I'm just going to, you know, let them have it. We have to make sure that we're not irritable. We get home. We have to make sure that we transition well so that we're just not irritable, just upset, just like, just, everybody just be quiet. We've got to find a way to not be rude. We also have to make sure we're not resentful. We're not rude, we're not seeking our own way, we're not irritable, and we're not resentful. What does resentful mean? Resentful means we're counting up or keeping a record of wrongs. But we're keeping records. We're resentful, we're bitter, we're historical. In order to leverage future conflicts, we are keeping records. And when a fight comes up, we pull those records out. And we try and leverage the conflict in our favor by the records we have been keeping. It's called being resentful. It's called collecting hurts. Um, and people who struggle with this live in a library of injury and it's a way of defending themselves from hurt and from truth. Check it out. Here's a picture of a library. Um, and when someone comes up, ah, Johnson, Johnson, hmm, let me pull out the Johnson file. Oh, hmm, she said that about me, huh? <laughs> I've got a file on her. It's keeping a library of injury. It's keeping hurts at hand so that relationships never mature. This probably comes up in your families whenever there's a tiff. It can't just be about that issue. Suddenly we're talking about Christmas five years ago because someone went to the library and pulled out the file keeping records of wrongs. We'll never get anywhere if we constantly are keeping records of wrongs. You know, in our marriage, if we can't talk about this single issue without bringing up the whole thing, you know, you always have been this. Well, then we're not going to get anywhere. 
So uh, am I being patient? Am I comparing? Am I being rude or resentful? Um, fourth, am I rejoicing in sin or in the truth? Am I rejoicing in sin or in the truth? So it says here, love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. So are you giving a friend or a family member a hearty amen to their sinful decision? Are you high-fiving someone's sinful lifestyle? That's not biblical love. Um, it says in the book of Romans to let love be genuine, and then right away it says, abhor what is evil. Those two things go together. It is never loving to encourage something in a person's life that God hates. That's not loving. It's loving to tell someone the truth while you're building up that relationship. So am I rejoicing in sin or am I rejoicing in the truth? We have to find loving ways. We have to find a loving tone to make the voice of truth heard. If there is someone in your life and you know that they're not living in a righteous way and you've been silent or, or worse, you've been promoting that that's okay and you support that and you're good with that, you have to understand that that's very self-serving. Um, you're not doing it for them. You're really not. You're doing it for you. Because if you cared about them, you would want them to be in the best possible relationship with the Lord Jesus and you know it. You're avoiding the truth because you are protecting yourself from the problems that could come in that relationship if you actually did care about them in a biblical way. So let me just push on that and say, if you're rejoicing in sin in a friend's life, if a friend is really struggling and you're struggling to help them get on the path of truth, be loving. Be loving because it's not loving to rejoice in sin. It says here in verse 7, this is kind of the fireworks finale. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Write this down. Am I loving long after my love runs out? And so you feel exasperated because you're like, I've done all those things and that person still is driving me nuts. I'm done. Love never ends. Am I loving long after my love has run out? The list here is amazing. Bearing all things. Believing all things. Hoping all things. Enduring all things. How many things? Say it. All of them. All of them. This is a really artful and poetic depiction of love at its best. At its best. Enduring, patiently, hoping all things together. Nothing will stop this love little caveat here, this to clear up confusion does not in any way mean that you're enduring an abusive relationship without seeking help. Well, God just wants me to take it. Am I just supposed to take it? No. If you need help, you need to get help. Please don't think that this means that something sinful or criminal is God's will without end. That is not what this means. What this means is you're bearing all things together while your love is maturing. The word for bearing all things could mean cover. It's a great image. You're putting a roof or a lid, a protective cover, a shelter over the relationship. Doesn't mean you're covering up evil. It means when the storm gets heavier, when 
the thunder gets louder, you are getting closer. And you're kind of holding the umbrella together tighter when things get harder. You're enduring all things. The conflict, the storm, doesn't cause you to push the person out in the cold. It draws you closer because you're bearing all things together. It says here that love believes all things. What does that mean? Be clear on this one. It doesn't mean that you believe lies. Okay? It doesn't mean that you believe lies. Well, I'm supposed to believe all things. My kids said that they were at, you know, a friend's house until five in the morning. I guess I'm supposed to believe all things. No, that's not what it means. Okay. It means you give a person the benefit of the doubt. Because Satan loves to sow suspicion in your heart. So when there's something that you haven't quite confirmed yet, you're not instantly like, where were you? There's not this like, uh, this like immediate pouncing that happens when a person goes, who'd you talk to today? There's not this suspicion, you know? There's not this checking up on every conversation that a person had before you can lower your defenses. That's not loving. You're believing the best about the person you love. If you struggle with distrust, if you struggle with suspicion, if you struggle with being cynical, I would just challenge you that the loving person believes all things until there is a credible reason that you would um, call someone's character into question. Believes all things. It says love hopes all things. What does that mean? It means you're optimistic. You're believing the best about the future of your relationship. You're not racing to extreme conclusions. Well, if this is the way that you're always going to be, maybe we should be rethinking. What are you doing? Who just turned it to DEFCON 5? I mean, how are we at threat level red? I mean, why are we now talking about everything? Let's, let's disarm the conversation. Let's, let's downplay the gravity of what's... Let's lower the stakes. Um, because love hopes all things. We're going to get through this. We're going to figure this out. We can work on it together. Love endures all things. It means you're putting up with a whole lot. You're enduring it. You're going to see the warts. The closer you get to people, the more the warts you'll see. You've got to endure all things. You've got to stick it out. You've got to slug through it. You have to never give up. It says here, love never ends, which means you never reach the point where you say, that's it. It's over. I've hit my limit. I've been loving for long enough. Now I can go nuclear in my church. Now I can let them have it. My kids are going to get it. There are times when relationships break down and end. I'm not saying that every relationship is meant to last forever. There are times churches have to put people under church discipline and send them out. That doesn't mean we can't be loving toward them, right? There are times when marriages break apart, biblically so. That doesn't, that doesn't mean you can't be loving toward that person, right? It just means that whatever the status of the relationship, you never get to the point where you put a person on the I don't have to love this person anymore list. That list should be empty. There should be no one on that list in your heart. People who I don't have to love anymore because of what they did or what they said or what they didn't do. or what the, Nobody's on that list. You have to love without end, and that love will look differently. I love what it says in 
It says, love never ends. And then it says in verse 13, so now faith, hope, and love abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. Love is a permanent virtue because our relationships are permanent. Here's what I want you to do this week. I want you to use your bulletin as a prayer guide. Each day, I want you to start your day by taking the bulletin with these qualities or opening up your Bible to 1 Corinthians 13. And I want you to pray through it. Put your name in there. Put your name in there. Ryan is patient, kind, does not envy or boast. Ryan is not arrogant or rude. Ask yourself how you're doing. Pick a different relationship each day. How am I doing in my home? How am I doing at my work? How am I doing at my church? And then pray and ask God, this is so overwhelming, Lord. Can you just show me one or two areas you, that need immediate attention? Show me the relationships or the traits that need immediate attention. And, and help me, Lord, to grow in love. Because I know if I don't love, I'll accomplish nothing. I'll become nothing. I'll gain nothing. Let's pray. Father, this week as we come to your presence, make us more loving. Show us what it means to be patient and kind. Uh, show us what it means to not rejoice in evil, but with the truth. And we pray that as we look at these gauges, as we look at the instrument panel on all of our relationships, show us, Lord, the alarms that are going off. Show us what's causing us to lose altitude, to dive, Lord, and help us to pull up to get to a good place. I pray that you would show us, based on this template, why our relationships might be struggling, and then through prayer, show us that you can grow, you can restore any relationship in our lives. We pray that as you make us more loving, it would spread from our homes to our churches, to our workplaces, to our schools, to our world, that others might see by our love that we are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. This we pray in his mighty name. Amen.